last week on Infinite Rabbit Hole. Represent such a high order in the galaxy. Why wouldn't they present themselves to someone that was higher up in our governmental systems, wherever that may be in the world? Um, you know what this sounds like to me um, is kidnapping. When the windows opened again, he was told that they were in the atmosphere of what they on Earth call Saturn. How come this dude didn't get pick up some bacteria or some virus, if you believe in viruses, and uh, die, right? Or the other people who relocated there, how come they weren't dead? Somebody's got to be the martyr, and it, and it was Woody, and he got lucky. I think that he was a bad friend. How can you trust the guy after that? First of all, this sounds literally like somebody who has like a sci-fi vision from like the 50s. You have to make it make sense. If it doesn't make sense, then it's probably bullshit. But soon after they got there, a brightly lit craft was descending towards them and seemed to land behind where they were parked. We are just shy of halfway through. I got a bunch of dots, I just haven't connected them yet. Lemon the lemonade stand. You get lemons <laughs> and AIDS. And AIDS. <laughs> um, and then... Welcome back to Infinite Rabbit Hole. Back to the Infinite Rabbit Hole. I'm Jeremy. I'm your host, and today we're going to jump into the third episode in the Injured Cold Saga. It's not going to be the last one. I'm sorry, but it's just not going to be the last episode. We have a lot of content still to go, and before we jump into that content, I want to go ahead and bring in my co-hosts, Jake and Jeff. Let's start with you, Jeff, tonight. How are you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing actually really good. Got a new phone today. Got approved for a new house today. Uh, I'm chilling like Bob Dylan, my friend. How you doing? Growing up. Yeah, man. (laughs) Jake, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I had a great weekend painting my motorcycle right now. A lot of work, but it's, uh, it's a daunting task, but it's, uh, it's a heck of a lot of fun, but I'm ready for this episode. I'm, I want to hear what, what the rest of the, the, uh, whole thing about injured cold is. Yeah. Well, we're, we're going to do that. And, of course, we have fresh out of her first ever talking appearance at a paranormal convention in Marietta, Ohio, Ashers from the podcast on Wednesdays, We Talk Weird. Ashers, welcome back to the Infinite Rabbit Hole. And thank you, by the way. Oh, thank you for having me back. I'm, I'm excited to be here again talking about, you know, my, my favorite person in the world, Injured Cold, of course. Person in a different world. Sure. Well, that's <laughs> my favorite person in the known universe, like and the unknown universe, apparently. Um, yeah. But but no, I'm excited. I'm I, I think that uh, you know the the story so far has been very uh, riveting for the listeners, and I think that it's just going to continue to get better. I, I, actually, I mean, I know the story, so I know it is. So you guys are in for a treat. Well, I mean, does anybody have anything to update the listeners on before we jump right in? No. No. Good. Okay. Very, very well. Very well. All right. Well, let's jump right in um, because we have a lot of content to cover. We're going to talk about a man named Ed. During a radio interview in Washington, D.C., a man by the name of Ed called into the show claiming that he too has been taken to Lanulos. 
After the recording, the producer gave Woody the man's number, and Woody called to set up a time that they could meet and talk together. The man was a college senior from Adelphi, Maryland, and was very happy to hear Woody's story as it matched his very closely. Woody brought with him to Ed's house John Keel and Harold Sacken from SACI. During the drive to Ed's house, Harold asked Woody if he would be able to determine whether or not this man was lying. Woody replied by telling the man in the car about a craft that resembled a carpet or sled. If Ed discussed this craft at all, then Woody would be inclined to believe him as he never told anybody here on Earth about this craft. Ed's story goes like this. At around 1.15 a.m. on Sunday, December 10th, 1967, he was driving home just outside of Washington, D.C. when he noticed a large white egg-shaped object in the middle of the road. He stopped his vehicle about 20 feet from the object and saw two men standing outside with it, tan skin and light blue coveralls. One man walked up to the driver's side of his vehicle with a large grin on his face and told Ed not to fear him and that his name was Vadig. They conversated for several minutes and Vadig asked Ed several questions like, where was he from, where was he going, and what did he do for a living? Shortly after the conversation started, Vadig told Ed, I'll see you in time. And he returned to the object where a door opened up and he and the other man entered the object before it began to lift off the ground and fly away. A second contact with Vadig happened when Ed was working as a waiter at a local restaurant and Vadig walked in and sat down. Vadig asked Ed if he remembered him and Ed said, yeah, of course I do. Ed was a little concerned because he did not tell this man that he worked at this restaurant. They talked very little and Ed brought Vadig a coffee. At this time, Vadig asked him if they could meet up later and Ed accepted. That night, Ed was being driven home from a co-worker. The moment that he had gotten out of the car, a black Buick had driven up and a door opened which revealed Vadig and another man sitting in the car. Ed got in the car and they drove for about 30 minutes to a remote location where they found the craft that Ed had seen fly away the other night. Once on board, he was brought into a room with a chair and a TV. He sat down and the TV showed the ground traveling away from the screen and then eventually the earth itself shrinking until it was no more. After a short while, another planet came into view and it began to land. Once they exited the craft, they jumped on board a car with no wheels that drove along long ditches, and Vadig explained that this was Lanulos. Vadig continued to use that name, Lanulos, a lot, as if he was attempting to highlight the name for importance or make the name stick in Ed's memory. The people of Lanulos were mostly nude, and there were some very attractive women, according to Ed. They all shared the very dark complexion of Vadig, and were all in great shape. When they were done, they returned to the ship, and Ed took a seat in front of the TV again, and was returned to the same place with the Buick waiting to take him home. After another 30-minute drive, he found that only an hour and 30 minutes had passed since he was dropped off. After, he told Woody and the others his story. It was clear that Woody was really talking to another visitor to Lanulos. Ed did in fact mention the sled-like ships that the people of Lanulos used on a regular occasion. And after that, 
Woody believed him 100%. So what do you guys think about the story of Ed? Uh, I'm still hung up on this Lanulos situation, man. I, <laughs> I still, like, maybe it's just me, but, you know, when I'm hearing these things, I'm just picturing, like, this 1950s futuristic sci-fi planet, and it's, like, not super convincing to me. But the fact that... Do you see it in black and white? No, it's not in black and white. It's actually in like a, a cartoony <laughs> color, uh, like the like Jetsons. Old, not even like I don't, I don't know if you guys remember like Technicolor. Old, there's like yeah, Technicolor. <laughs> there it is. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, he didn't perfect. get blindfolded. No, or vaccinated. So, or vaccinated. Or vaccinated. Yeah, there was a couple differences in this story to the other one but we'll get to that in a minute so let's finish off with your thoughts jake what do you think man hmm sounds like this uh this alien that he was that ed was cruising around with was uh not in on the whole program as far as blindfolding people like the fbi (laughs) um (laughs) i don't know um i mean i guess you had said that that Woody never told Ed anything about the flying cars and all that stuff. So when he came back and he said that, he was just like, "Oh, okay, so you must have actually been there." So this was the very first time that Ed met, or Woody met Ed, and Woody was on his way there to meet him for the very first time. He was telling the passengers in the car with him that if this guy said anything about the sleds, the flying sleds. Mm-hmm that he would believe him because he never mentioned these vehicles on any um, interviews, TV, radio shows, or just talking to anybody. So that was one detail that he kept for himself all the time and never brought up. So if Ed did mention these ships, that he would be inclined to believe him. Gosh, what if they're just like, they're just giving him some like, pretty hardcore drugs and like flying them to like northern canada <laughs> there there is a very similar theory about that that we'll get into uh later the hollow we'll earth talk about that. what's that what's that admiral's name <laughs> admiral, admiral bird. bird that's it that's who's taking them there in the hollow earth they just have so, a bunch of really fit um like I don't know, South Americans that are just half nude down there. <laughs> I, I have like a very basic theory about the why, why they would have why he would know something that uh, dude didn't ever talk about before, and you know there is the idea of uh, like implanted memories and things like that. And if this was some sort of psyop being perpetrated on people by some secret black budget organization, then it's possible that they were both given similar memories of some sort so that they could corroborate each other's uh stories and you know i agree with jeff's thing it would either have to be that or it'd have to be the truth at this point yeah one or the other what do you got ashers well you know i'm always i i'm always immediately skeptical of anybody who who claims to um you know also talk to to any of these the species I believe mm-hmm. Woody's story, you know, I know that my first question um, when I inevitably make contact with an alien race um, is going to be, and maybe it's because I'm a woman, but it's going to be, 
how many of us do you talk to? Am, am I am I the only one, or is there more of us? Are you cheating on me with other humans? You know, I, I would like to know that. And so, you know, why hasn't you know? Because at this point in time, Woody had spent a significant amount with Indrid, um, you know, and, and his family. Why didn't he ask that question? And and if he did ask that question, why? I mean, did Indrid lie? I'm still, I listen, I'm st- dead set that Indrid Cold is a bad friend at minimum. Like, I'm, you're not going to change my mind on this. Like, he's not a very good friend. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just, exposing I mean, him to disease and cheating on right, him with cheating others. Cheating on him, kidnapping. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, he's not a very, I mean, he's not a very good friend. Sorry. Um, but, you know, that, that would be my first question. Like, why didn't Woody know about this guy from, from his friend? you know initially um and so you know but that's not um i have not spoken with with ed or or his family i don't think he's dead now um or anything How like convenient. that right exactly i mean <laughs> come on you just died like that okay before i could talk to you come on mm-hmm. no um <laughs> you know i'd be curious i'd like i'd, I'd like to talk to, I'd, I'd sit down and i'd talk with this with this family or, or friends or anybody that knew the guy um and see what they had to say about him and, and his experiences but like i said i'm I'm immediately skeptical i mean which sounds ridiculous because i'm not again i, I believe in the injured cold story but i don't believe this guy i i don't i can't there's no logic there sorry <laughs> Ooh, i have a question that just came up do do they ever go into any sort of experiences of things that happened while they were on Lanulos or traveling to Lanulos? Like they aged quicker, or slower than everyone else, or anything like that? Mm, I don't have anything mm-hmm. like that. That would that's a, no, that's a really good point because time. I mean, time time is different. Mm-hmm. I've had other people make some really big claims about how they've been, you know, taken to other planets and things like that, and. Uh, you know, they claim that they obviously haven't, well, they they obviously haven't aged any, but they've spent years on other planets. Now, do I believe those people? I guess I shouldn't publicly say no, but I'm going to publicly say no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because there, there's some right. people claim, you can't tell me you spent five years on Mars. Um, and, you know, but then it was only like 10 minutes here on Earth. Like that doesn't, that, that mass doesn't track. Um, right. You know, but that is something that, that has come up, um, you know, within the community and, and contactees that do make those big claims. Um, but yeah, I don't think that they ever really, I mean, you know, Woody's had physical and physicals and things like that done, but nothing abnormal was found or anything like that. He just still seemed to be hmm. living his best life, I guess, as a human. No, like, I mean, I wonder how much how much time he spent in traveling to and from this place. One of the trips he took took about thirty minutes, in his point of view. All right, well, that wouldn't even that wouldn't even make a difference. I'm thinking about like astronauts spending time in space and how they have like was it muscular dystrophy when they get back because their muscles are so depleted and stuff, and they're all screwed up. But they, I mean, they spend years, you know, or like a year out there. Not just that, but uh, satellites. We go over this a little bit in our time travel episode. Not the Simpsons time travel. The regular time travel (laughs) episode. We talk about time dilation Mm -hmm. and how the satellites that are right just outside of uh, the Earth's atmosphere in orbit have to constantly have their their clocks uh, recalibrated because they're all set to Swiss standard time. But because their lack of gravity out there... They deal with time in a in a different 
speed than us and it's it's very very minute Mm -hmm. but every couple of months they lose like a a few seconds so all those gps's that you have on your phone how your phone is perfectly timed all the time Mm -hmm. it's due to those satellites those those clocks actually get calibrated very often because of time dilation there's a direct relationship between time and gravity Mm -hmm. and you know, I'm not going to get too far into it, but if they are using black holes or if they're bending time and space, which is definitely gravity manipulation, then yes, I, that is a very good question, Jake, that they're probably slowing time and he's perceiving it as 30 minutes to get there. But in reality here on earth, it could be, I mean, 30 minutes to get across the, the galaxy could be years here on earth and that could be a a major flaw yeah Mm -hmm. i mean what right so and what you're saying is is absolutely the perfect example of 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 how time how how it's it's so different because like those satellites and things that you're talking about due to the time dilation you're right they have to be recalibrated and those are still within our atmosphere Right. You know, and so we're talking about, you know, somewhere that's in a, you know, a, a faraway galaxy, far, far away or whatever. Um, and, you know, so time is definitely going to work differently there. I mean, when I try to explain, like, the concept of time to people and how it works outside of Earth, um, honestly, the best example of that that I've seen that that makes it so you can bite it off and chew is the movie Interstellar. Yes, that's what I was thinking about. That guy that spent, yeah. like a day on this other planet it was seven years or something yeah back home yeah. right and it does and it, and it gets and it gets crazy i mean and it's it's very long but that's probably the simplest way that you can put it and they did a really good job explaining it um but yeah so i mean just because it seemed like 30 minutes to, to woody doesn't mean that it was 30 minutes it, it was it was injured 30 minutes or that it was our 30 minutes even um you know because at that point you also have personal perception and that's just i mean it's 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 a lot <laughs> physics is yeah. a lot you guys <laughs> it's hard <laughs> i'm gonna need you to ask this this woman that you know this contact uh woody's daughter all these yeah. physics questions and be like what about this <laughs> I, I could try and she'll be like i graduated from parkersburg high i don't know <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry, Tanya. I don't know. No, yeah. Tanya is educated. She went to she, but she went to college for marketing, not not astrophysics. So I, I don't know. But that's you know that's good. But I'll tell her to ask Indra. I don't you know. Oh yeah. Can I tell a cute story real fast? Yes. It, yes. It's really cute. So I um I I sent out Christmas cards this year to people, and um which it was amazing. I got like over 350 people wanting Christmas cards, which was great fun. But I sent one to Tanya, and uh and I was putting like like stickers for the Wednesday show and stuff in the in the cards, and and I I gave I gave her an extra to give to Indrid. I was like I don't know if you like stickers, but <laughs> we give this to Indrid. I don't know if she did or not. I'll I'll, I'll follow up. I'll ask her. <laughs> I just remembered that. I don't know. <laughs> oh man, send him some infinite rabbit hole stickers he can post on his flying cars on. Is there a Wednesday sticker on Lanulus right now? Because that'd be pretty fucking sweet if there is. So Ashers, I guess you'd be a fun one to have a little uh, spaces fake debate with. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Probably. Maybe. All right. Let's talk about Indrid and the Derenbergers. Catherine Derenberger was petrified of the idea of meeting people from another planet. She went out of her way many times when they were around the house to not be in contact with them and would only come back downstairs with their son Charles when Woody told her that they were gone. 
One day, she answered a knock on the door, and there were two men who were selling vacuums door-to-door who were requesting to demonstrate their newest model for her. She told them that her husband was an appliance salesman and that they have a brand new vacuum already, but thank you. The men understood, then began to ask her about her husband's events with the men from space. She told them in the best way she could explain that Woody had gone through the first night. Then, one of them asked if she had ever met them. She replied by saying no, but it wasn't because she hadn't had an opportunity. She was just a little frightened from the whole situation. When the two men began to smile, she made the connection between the two men standing in front of her and her husband's description of injured Cole and Carl Arden. Since that day, she has conversated with them many times and thinks of them as very good friends of hers. Although their youngest child, their daughter Tanya, was very young during the events with injured cold, she was always the first to spot the ship following them in their car. She has played with both Indrid and Carl multiple times and looks forward to their visits. All right. Ashers, I know you got stuff to add here. Uh, well, I don't, I mean, <laughs> the family dynamic of it is what has sold me on, on the story. Um, because now it's it's beyond just, you know, the the dad who, you know, could be a, a drunkard or you know whatever that kind of disappears for a little bit of time and now you have you know the wife who obviously has a reason to to be afraid um because she's being faced with the conflict of of the possibility not the, the possibility but of the knowing that these are space people um and then of course you've got you know little tanya who is growing up as being influenced by these situations and she's seeing it from both ends of the spectrum um now her being i'm going to get a little psychological here um but tanya being female is mostly going to identify with her mother not just that at the time her mom you know was very much a stay-at-home mother she was involved in her life and whatnot more so than her father was um you know so typically if if there was any if there was any fault to this story it would surely fall apart within the family because then the rest of the family members go well dad slash husband just disappears for hours at a time or days at a time and doesn't return and he talks about these space people you don't have that here what you have here is them saying well these people are showing up to our house like we we know them we we meet them we interact with them and i i think that that is definitely um that makes us story gives it a lot of weight i mean unless woody just hired some random people to show up and say that they were the alien guys which i think that story eventually would fall apart so eventually somebody would talk about it and say hey that was us and that's never happened um so i i don't know like i said this is the part that makes me believe it you have a lot of stuff in this story of injured cold and, and woody right that just you're kind of like man this is just some far-fetched shit let's be honest yeah. about it and then you start digging into Catherine and Tanya and their and her brother, yeah. and how they were growing up with the children from Lanyos, which we'll get into here in a little bit, and how Catherine, even though she separated from Woody and married another man, still said no. Indrid's real, right? I've met Indrid. I've met Kimmy. I've you know they we've had them over to eat. We've you know, they, they come to our house and whatever. And she 
two, you know, I, I, I don't know if she's still alive or, or, or whatnot. I, you know, this is a long time ago, but as far as I know, she never came out and said, no, that Woody was a liar. The reason why she left Woody was because she couldn't deal with the spotlight. You know, we'll get into a little bit later. I don't want to ruin it, but there was another issue. And it's just impressive. This part of the story is so impressive that it kind of takes all that really, really woo-woo stuff. And you're like, no, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, to get away from the spotlight, like you said, she they got divorced and she she took the kids and went up to uh, move to Cleveland. And, um, you know, at that point in time, because of the spotlight aspect of it, she could have said, no, you know what? It's all fake and stopped it all right there. She didn't do that. And it's not because she wanted to preserve Woody or anything like that. She had no reason to, um, you know, considering the dynamic, (laughs) but you know, she, she, she never did. She always maintained and she, she did pass until her dying day that she, that he was that he was real that all these people were real and she's met them and had them in her home and had the the dynamic now tanya's brother the son he doesn't talk to he's they don't talk to each other they're estranged so that's another aspect because of all this yeah tanya says yeah you know but of course she can't he won't come out and talk about it um and and never really has um but yeah, I mean they don't they don't talk anymore. And then of course now you have Tanya, who is a a grown woman who, you know, says, "Listen, this was my life growing up. This has always been my life, and it's my life now, and it just is what it is." You know, she doesn't care to prove it to anybody because it just is what it is. So I mean, knowing what her father went through, watching that happen, watching this whole thing destroy her family, still also goes on as an adult to say that you know what this was real. And it's not like she's making bank off of it. She's not. She's living in Parkersburg, West Virginia. You guys go look at the average, uh, the average household income there. You know, it's she's not rich by any means. You know, she's got absolutely no reason to keep this going. It's hurting her to keep this going. So that's my take on it. I know Jeff's gonna say psyop, and I agree. Listen, here's (laughs) the thing. Okay, I'm gonna stick to this theory probably for the rest of this because this is super interesting to me that the idea of implanted memories there's actually a document that was released from a FOIA request on accident uh somebody filed a FOIA request for something and the government gave them the wrong thing and it's called the em effects on human body and it literally is a document showing that the government has been able for decades now to not only implant false memories but to control dreams uh, doing things like forced uh, waking visions, so like you actually see things while you're awake, not just while you're sleeping, forced movements, all kinds of other things. So not to disrespect anybody who may think that this actually happened to them or that they met, you know, these pe- uh, met injured, but uh, I'm starting to think that maybe they were just being manipulated by uh, by some some agents. They were getting some forced information implanted. Remotely. And we still see that to this day with people doing hypnosis, um, and which yeah. is why hypnosis is very largely frowned upon for, um, you know, typical – because it can be a really good tool in, in psychology and things like that. But um, because you can – it's so easy to implant, you know, memories, right. you know, yeah. which is why it works so well, you know, <laughs> because it actually does work. Um, so that isn't – I mean, that's not far-fetched at all. That is absolutely something that can happen. Yeah. And we'd all know that the government's been involved in some crazy 
especially back in those days in the 50s and the 60s, right? In the, in the 70s, they were doing all kinds of crazy mind control experiments on people who had no idea they were being experimented on. So uh, to me, it's not that far out of the realm of possibilities to think that these people were just being tested on, essentially. Gosh, just, yeah, just your average family in the middle of nowhere. They're like, oh, yeah, I mean, all these people keep showing up, and they're all the scientists just making sure the experiment's rolling on, you know, going on to order and stuff. They're just like, they're like planting all these these memories and these ideas and all this sort of stuff and just keeping it going and going and going for forever. Yep. Goodness. I, Jeff, you probably know, but do you know the time frame for MK Ultra? Uh, it was in the 60s. I couldn't tell you the exact years off the top of my head. Um, that's this time frame. Yeah, it was in the 60s. And that, that's when they were doing all these kinds of mind control techniques, not just MK Ultra. There's like a whole list of different projects that were going on. MK Ultra is just the most widely known. But um, we did a whole yeah. deep dive on MK Ultra. And realistically, like, yeah, that was the project name then. But I mean, this started way back. Mostly, I mean, is when it really ramped up was World War Two. Right. And so and then it just continues. Yeah. One of the doctor, the scientist who was in charge of MK Ultra was one of the Nazi scientists who was doing mind control techniques over there. And in Project Paperclip, they brought him over here to continue doing it. Let's talk about Venus and the Kletos. One April day in 1967. Woody was invited to go to visit the home of Jitro and Elvane Kletal of what we call Venus. Woody described the ship they used to get to the flagship, or mothership, as a Venetian scout craft, and was what everyone recognized as a typical flying saucer. This craft was not meant to fly far distances, such as from Earth to Venus, so they had to stop at the mothership before traveling to Venus. According to Woody's description, the surface of Venus is very flat. There are slight hills, but no mountains like on Earth. There seemed to be more ocean than land, and most of the land that he saw was cultivated in long stretches of crops. The rest of the land was covered in dense forest and small bodies of water, such as rivers and streams. He exclaimed that, according to Jitro, the temperature was steadily between 100 and 110 degrees Fahrenheit, and the only time they wore clothes were for fancy gatherings like dances. He described the people as having yellowish skin and again failed to find anyone who was too thick or thin. Everyone looked in really good shape. He wasn't able to stay long as he was expected to be at work the next day, but he wished he was able to stay longer, longer than he had at least. Real quick, I'm going to go ahead and jump to the very next section because I think this is where more of the conversation is going to happen and feel free to step back into the Venetians there if you guys want to talk about that. Um, but let's talk about some questions that get answered here. So why do they come here and what do they want from Woody? Well, according to Woody, they come here to Earth for the simple task of helping their brothers and sisters. They believe heavily due to their own religious beliefs that they should help us by eventually welcoming us to the collection of human civilizations that speckle the Milky Way. By doing this, we can trade culture, medicine, and technology. And here you go. This is the question that Jeff was asking last time. Why don't they just land in a public area? They want to. That's the answer. They want to. But the first few times they tried, they were shot at and even chased by military missiles and aircraft. They are afraid that if they showed up on the front lawn of the White House, 
that they would only be free to go when it was decided by the governments of Earth. They don't want to be prisoners, and they don't believe in war. So the plan is to contact those select few that they believe can help and go through them slowly and methodically until the coast is completely clear and the people of Earth are ready for them. All right, guys. Tear it apart. Go ahead. So I'm looking at something that says that the surface of Venus is about 900 degrees Fahrenheit. It's hot enough to melt lead, and there's it's covered in volcanoes. So that in itself— Unless space is fake. Well, but right. that description in itself is verifiably false. Now, it may have been true before we had ever gotten something on there to see what Venus looked like or gotten a, uh, a close enough picture of it. Um, you know, if I were to say that there's this planet on this other galaxy and this is what it's like, unless we have evidence to prove otherwise, why, why wouldn't you say that you know, what I'm saying is true? But in this circumstance, that's not true unless there's like a hologram around the entire planet showing this desolate wasteland <laughs> there's a lot of blank space when you talk about space in general especially astral bodies like planets mm-hmm. there's a lot a lot of stuff that is guessed let's just say that right so right. venus is thought to be a very rocky barren hot uh, a sulfur-like atmosphere, very, very dense atmosphere. In fact, there's theories that if there were people, if there was a race of anything living in Venus, they would actually be able to live in the the atmosphere or on the atmosphere. It's so thick, and that the ground is just too hot to live in. Ah, man, you know, I I wish we had done a couple other episodes before we had done Indergold just for this reason, and I'm sure Jeff has some things to, to <laughs> say. He's probably going to do a better job than I am. So I'm just going to go ahead and hand it off to Jeff. If not, I don't want to, I don't want to do a whole episode in inside of this episode on planets and science and all that stuff. But let's just say that just because it says it's 900 degrees doesn't necessarily mean it is. Agreed. And I'm not going to get stuck on that. What I'm stuck on right now is this explanation of why the UFOs won't just land at the white house for whatever, 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 because that's complete bullshit, because on July 19th, 1955, and on July 26th, and the 27th, 1955, there was a shit ton of UFOs that flew over the White House. So, riddle me that. Maybe it was our boys from Lanios. Maybe maybe they got chased. I got a different theory on that. Well, this, this actually happened right after Admiral Byrd got sent back with his tail between his legs from Antarctica, so some people think that maybe these were nazi ufos or some hollow earth beings or maybe it was the the injured crew who knows but you know they have shown themselves publicly and i say they not meaning aliens because i don't necessarily think they're aliens but ufos have been spotted in very public locations multiple times so the the fact that they won't just land wherever times square or, or wherever is that's not a good enough uh, reason for me because they they're worried about whatever i mean they've done it already the only thing they didn't do was physically land there you know what i mean i have to disagree i think that is a a perfectly good reason uh but there's also the fermi paradox which is the explanation that we're just too dumb and violent 
for extraterrestrials to actually try to make contact with us because what's going to happen if we are able to get our hands on these people they're never going to fucking leave yeah but that's the thing is they have gotten in contact with people and then like the idea that they'd be afraid of us for some reason is is absolute bullshit. I mean, look at the Battle of Los Angeles, right, where there was a UFO and they were firing artillery shells and all kinds of shit at it, and like they never found any craft after that. And they, we're ineffective. You sure? I mean, I'm not sure, but right. And don't worry, anybody anybody listening and thinking the Battle of LA is just a horrible movie. Um, it's actually a, a real event and we will cover that at some point. I guarantee it, but I think it's a, a very good example of why they wouldn't just land on the white house lawn. I, I, I'm thinking, you know, yes, we have come in contact with alien beings. I, I do believe that if alien beings have been here, we have been in contact with them. I'm not saying that I do believe that we have I'm just saying that if Mark Zuckerberg here, is one. That that's very true. <laughs> yes, he's a, he's a reptilian. He's there's a whole different story. There. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so he's the descendants um, of the aliens. Okay. <laughs> right, but who's who's to say that the Lanulogians were the ones that we are in contact with? Because honestly, it is that we are in contact with the Greys, not necessarily the Lanulogians. I'm gonna put a uh, put an article in the group chat of uh about the uh the soviets landing a rover on venus and then flying a satellite over the top of it back in the 60s can you put the one where the north koreans said they landed on the sun well i mean sure (laughs) did they get pictures of it was it really white (laughs) (laughs) i mean this one has pictures and stuff so i mean oh it's interesting I, again, that stuff is so easily faked. I mean, look at the moon landing. It literally fooled everybody. <laughs> it fooled us. There is no moon. It's just a painting in the sky. Everyone knows this. Asher, tell us how stupid we are. Uh, no, I mean, I, we, we were never landing on the moon. So, um, anyway. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> no. Um, if, yeah, if space is fake, then this whole thing is fake. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, no, we did a whole episode on it, and people were pissed off to find out that I'm I don't believe in the moon landing and whatever. Fuck you guys, we never did. Sorry, um, but anyway, <laughs> um, okay. So there's two different conversations happening here. So I'll, I'll take on the Venus <laughs> the Venus thing right now. Um, there was a, a declassified document by the FBI that had come out that was about um, whether or not um, Nikola Tesla was was from Venus. <laughs> and you know so they had actually put him <laughs> under investigation it's for real <laughs> oh my God. yeah for real you can read it it's holy moly <laughs> um so they put him under investigation right and that's it sounds ridiculous except before this was before this came out before this was disclosed to us there was a woman who ended up writing a book oh my god i can't remember the name of the book and um it was all about tesla being from venus and it was all about um and and she was really close with him and she ended up writing this whole biography about him um being from venus the her book was immediately banned and taken off all the shelves and then eventually after a couple of years this is all true stream look look this up verify it it's all true eventually her book ended up back on the shelves again and then we had in recent years gotten this document that the fbi did seriously investigate tesla for this but here's my problem. I don't think anybody can live on Venus. 
<laughs> you know, I the science just isn't there for it to be a habitable, a habitable place. You know what? We are talking about um, absolute infinity, though. I mean, so if there's a poss- even a chance, um, probably they would live inside of it, I would think. Um, you know, and I think that would make sense. And maybe the, the terrain of it would be a good cover to hide from us knowing that anybody's living in it. Um, you know, and that's, that's kind of woo and out there, but whatever, that's just what I think because we can observe it and we know that it's not, you're right. A lot, a lot of things about space is just kind of guessed. There's a, there's a plane going over my home at this very moment, so it's probably the government. Um, they keep anyway. flying tier 3Bs over my house, yeah. <laughs> They're pissed off. They're like, what are you talking about over there? <laughs> um, you know, so, so there, but there's that. Like I said, you know, it, it's possible that um, even Woody doesn't realize that, um, or, you know, uh, humans here don't realize that they're actually not talking about Venus. Maybe they have their own planet that they call Venus somewhere else. Mm. And, um you know, they're just calling it by by this similar name. It happens. You know, my name's Ashley. There's lots of us here, but we're not the same, right? And so, I mean, that's possible. It's it seems very unlikely, but it's possible. Um, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So there's there's that. There's my thing on the Venus take. Our Venus, I don't think anybody lives there. Um, going to the why they won't just come and land on the White House and what have you um you know here's the thing i you know i'm i'm an american right i I live in america and i have a choice every single day i can choose to get up and i could go to the local um you know the local mom and pop um you know all fresh healthy food restaurant or i can go to mcdonald's and i can have a big ass burger i have that choice and (laughs) You know, it's not good for me and it doesn't benefit me in any way whatsoever, but it's a lot funner to go to the McDonald's and have the big juicy burger. I don't really eat McDonald's or meat for that matter, but you see what I'm saying? These things don't operate on our logic. They don't have to come here to visit our world leaders. Why would they? There's nothing that they benefit except for at this point leisure to sit down and talk to anybody in authority. Maybe it's funner for them to sit down and talk to some, you know, backwoods hicks rather than sit down and talk to officials maybe they don't want to deal with the drama i mean they have a choice here we're talking about beings that can that can bend time and space to travel wherever they want to and presumably anywhere in the entire universe and they're choosing to come here anyway i'm not going to gripe too much about who it is they're choosing to visit um i'd like it to be me uh but you know we are too stupid and you know that that doesn't i mean they don't care to educate us like that because why would they why would they waste their time doing that and that is exactly what tanya says about it um you know when when i've asked her and and conversed with her about why they don't just reveal themselves and she says well why would they They have no benefit to it so why would they um and, and that's really it i mean i think that that question is kind of um i think we overthink it quite a bit and, you know, sometimes the simple answer, the easy answer is, is the right answer. And I'm, I can accept that. Hmm. Fair enough. Hey, everybody. Bear with us while we take this quick break. Hey, guys, I'm Ashers. And I'm Pat O. And every Wednesday we talk weird. It's a weekly podcast bringing you the latest in cryptozoology, ufology, conspiracies, the occult, and all the latest in Fortean news. Everything from the ooky to the spooky. It's like coast to coast AM for people who fuck. Search for On Wednesdays We Talk Weird anywhere you get podcasts. See you guys next Wednesday. 
I don't want to turn this into a space is fake episode, but just really quick, I'm looking at this article you sent in the chat, uh, Jake, and none of these pictures, quote unquote, pictures of Venus are actually pictures of Venus. And it even says it under each image. It says this image was created by an artist using data, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Only actual pictures it's of a, black and white. It's a dramatic reenactment of it. Exactly. Of space. That, <laughs> that's, <laughs> what, that's what fuels... That's I mean, I don't care about the, the pictures so much. I meant the the article itself. Yeah, they're like they went over there and they sensed what like plasma gas from superheated blah 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 whatever. Sure they did. I don't know. I'm not a science type. Sure they did. I don't know. A lot of people don't know that most, and I'm when I say most, I'm saying 99 plus percent of the pictures from space are literally paintings. Artists created. <laughs> Shut your pa- mouth. Basically, basically <laughs> paintings. Because what they do is they get uh, satellites. I mean, yes, they do black have and cameras white. on them. Well, they take they they take pictures, but what they do is they they take pictures in a coded format, and they take this code and this formula and stuff, and they create the image from that using you know somebody looks at the code and says, okay, it's paint by numbers, and this is what it, it's <laughs> saying. It looks like these <laughs> are blue. <laughs> <laughs> but Jeff's but Jeff's right is that you know a lot of these pictures people will post right I, I follow this one guy on Facebook I'm not going to put his name out there but he's a, a big time science guy and he put, he posts articles on science all the time I wonder who and you're talking they, about Neil deGrasse Tyson the black science guy no 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 it, it's it's definitely not it's it's probably nobody ever has ever even heard of but I'm not going to put him on the spot Jeff Bezos but he. No, he he just posted a picture from this thing that they just sent up there. The uh, oh gosh, I can't think of it, but it's like the the new big thing, you know, the, know the new telescope. About. You know what I'm talking about, yeah. right? Yep. It's supposed to replace the Hubble telescope and the everything. Red James Webb, and he posted the James yes. Webb. Thank you. Yeah, that's it. Is that the one I just threw out that article on? Possibly. <laughs> so the images of jupiter just came in and like there's a whole bunch of different storms on there that we never knew of and everyone's like oh wow this isn't the jupiter i saw when i was a kid because it only had the one big storm you know like the the eye of jupiter is like this famous storm and they're like wow why is it blue and it's because it's taking better coding now you know so now we're we're getting Mm. more realistic with the imagery being translated by these computers or by these people who are uh, creating these images. And who knows, even the stuff that the James Webb is sending back to Earth may not actually be correct. But the, the simple fact is, is that there's a ton of giant eyes on Jupiter and not just one big one. And it's not just different shades of beige. It's blue <laughs> and red and, you know, purple. And it's crazy. But even below that image, it says that this is not an actual image of Jupiter. This is uh, translated via coding or whatever they say. But yeah, there's very specific wording that they use underneath all these pictures of space, bo- spatial bodies all right, that well, people take for fact. I'm on board with Jeff. Space is fake. <laughs> if you can stomach it, if you can find a way to make it interesting, I highly, highly, highly recommend keeping up on current astronomy and current physics because it changes so often our the way that the world works around us is constantly erased and rewritten within months and it it's insane 
how much we really don't know and then it's like a new discovery happens and it's like you know once you kind of start getting used to it you're like well let's wait until this science changes because this isn't there there just are no absolutes when you're talking about quantum quantum mechanics there aren't any and so you know but if you can find a way to to watch that those those topics and and keep current on them even for a little bit of time um it's a really nice way to get some perspective on on some of these really fringe beliefs um especially if you find yourself being skeptical to that degree um you know if you're kind of erring on the side of well all these stories are fake this is fake this show is fake whatever um following the actual science itself is going to change it's going to make you think about it a little bit just because again even our our own science we can't we can't hold accountable to to what we already think we know because it's not it's never really true so that's my um that's my advice very well said and don't get me started on trust the experts but that's a whole yeah. other thing <laughs> please don't get him started <laughs> <laughs> all right good news is that we are finally done with woody's story ah, that finally. was the no. <laughs> the big bulk of it was from you know written by woody in his book visitors from lanulos awesome book if you guys are very if you guys find yourself interested in the injured cold story it is a must-have get the book uh but now we're going to dive into tanya's stories and in tanya's book beyond lanulos listen the books go so well hand in hand with each other because you have the story from woody's eyes and visitors from Lanulos, and then in Beyond Lanulos, you have Tanya's, and you get to see it from a different perspective, and you see the timeline through her eyes. It's very, very, very neat. She does a very good job at describing some things. Like I said earlier, I'm going to be able to skip a lot of the stuff that I learned from her book, because we have Asher's on here. As everyone was talking, I kind of read through my pages here a little bit. I found some things that I'm going to touch on real quick, uh, but for the most part, Asher's did a really great job at at describing a lot of the stuff in Tanya's book because she talks to her personally. So without further ado, let's jump into Tanya's relationship with the Lanulosians when she was a child. Tanya remembers many visits from the Lanulosians with her family at their house. She tells of how Kimmy Cold would talk with her mother and how she would play with Indrid's two sons, who were a few years older than her. They would play with her brother's toy cars, and the space boys would tell her how they don't have toy cars on their planet. These visits from the Colds were fairly regular. She said that when she first met Indrid, he would talk to her using vocal words and didn't start talking to her telepathically until she was 14 years old. She described Carl Ardo as being tall and skinnier than Indrid. He had slicked back black hair and was very similar looking to Indrid. She even described the time that she was able to play with his daughter Mystique. Tanya and the other children shared many descriptions about life on each other's planets. The Lanulogians were very true in tune with the teachings of the Bible and spent a lot of time studying it. They were shocked that we only stay in school until we are 18. Where on Lanulos, the amount of time spent in school would be equal to about 28 Earth years, and you didn't start school until you reached a certain maturity, not a certain age. She adds details about their diet as well. The food on Lanulos is all grown organically and is as natural as they can. 
fast food doesn't exist. And apparently, they can't stay for too long on Earth because the atmosphere makes them younger. At one point near the middle of the book, she briefly gives a description of Bimo Assad. He, just like Injured and Carl, was tall and tanned with slick back black hair. But what made him different was his skittishness. Demo did not feel comfortable around people he didn't know. And he was one of the last spacemen Tanya had the chance to meet due to him having to build the nerve to come into the Derenberger house. She described how most of the time the mob of people were outside of their house, Indrid and Carl were there mixed in with the crowd of UFO enthusiasts. To most people, they looked just like any other human being from Earth. Her father never knew the exact reason why they did that, but his best guess was that it was a mixture of keeping a watchful and protective eye on the Derenbergers, and also to listen to the gossip that was going around about them themselves. Now let's jump in real quick about the trouble that was going on in the Derenberger house. I really want to include this part because this lends value to Catherine, Woody's wife, a lot of people will get upset and they'll say things out of anger. You know, the divorce and so whatnot, and she still held true to the story of injured cold. But not only that, you know, we also got to remember that because Catherine was so upset and fearful for her family, they moved many times. So it's not like she wanted the limelight. She didn't want the limelight. So she could have simply just said, no, it's all false. And the limelight would have went away. But she continued to say it was true. So let's jump into this. She also talked about how her mother became very upset with the situation that the family was in due to these space people. Not only was she upset, they kept moving. People kept finding them, even after leaving their number and addresses unlisted. But because everywhere she went, Indrid or Carl were there watching her. Woody was even able to tell her where she had been all day, who she had talked to, and what she bought, because Indrid would telepathically tell Woody everything. She started feeling like Woody was having them spy on her for reasons she couldn't understand. And when Indrid started watching the kids too, that's when it got really bad. She talked about how her father began seeing Darla Sarder, the cousin of Jim, who was left in the car while Jim got his shoes stolen by the humanoids. This happened while her parents were still together. In the meantime, a man by the name of Bob Lalonde of the Cleveland UFOlogy Group began spending a lot of time at the Derenberger house. Catherine eventually left Woody and moved to Cleveland, where she and the kids lived with Bob. Her parents eventually divorced, and her mother was remarried to Bob. So let's talk about that really quick because I, I feel like that right there is helping the story. What do you guys think? Did they have no sense of morals that maybe falling around this woman and her kids wasn't the best idea? <laughs> well, I mean, maybe in their planet, I mean, morals are different, you know, maybe it, it, they live by a different moral code than we do here on Earth. Untrustworthiness. <laughs> All I can say, I'm going to quote, I'm going to quote the famous Sam Tripley on this one. Aliens love earth chicks. That's what it <laughs> always comes down to. Aliens are always after the earth chicks, man. 
That's hilarious. Mm. What do you think, Ashers? Well, I mean, you know, again, the the family element to it is is what you know I think makes this story you know check out so well. Um, you know, then following her around and whatnot, um, it doesn't seem too weird. Um, you know, humans do that to each other. You know, uh, so uh, that's not. I don't think that's, <laughs> that's too abnormal a behavior. You know. Um, if your buddies can can spy on people remotely and and telepathically and things like that and get into their brains i mean sure i can see you taking advantage of that you know and that's that's exactly what they were doing here um but yeah i mean like i said i think that there's this isn't i think that this isn't any mistake i don't think that you know Catherine was just going on for just because it was fun it wasn't fun anymore at that point you know it was it was definitely uh lived as you know lived out its course and and uh you know the fact that this was happening i mean you know so what are we saying now this is some type of mass hysteria that's what they always say this is mass hysteria and i just i don't buy that you know i don't buy that bullshit so um yeah i mean i don't like i said i think it definitely lends credibility to the story i think so too all right let's move on because i got i have a, a target that we that we need to hit at the end of this episode so that we can talk about nothing but John Keel in the next one. Yay! Yay! <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about new characters that she introduced us to. Towards the back of the book, she introduces us to a few other key characters in the big scheme of things. And better details, the family's first contact with John Keel, the author from New York. She described how on the first night that he showed up at their door, he had seen lights in the sky just over the hill. So he went to see if there were maybe headlights in the distance, and in order to do that, he had to climb a fence in a hill on the other side. He soon found out it was an electric fence, and then fell into a large muddy puddle on the other side. He hmm. did end up getting his answer, that there were no roads back behind the hill, and also got chased by Woody's neighbor's bull. This story was also recounted in Woody's and Gary Barker's books as well, so there's three different people who wrote about this story so you know it's verifiable speaking of gray barker she introduced us to him as well he was a writer and author of ufo books for his saucerian press he was the man who originally convinced woody to publish his story although ultimately woody's story would be published by harold hubbard instead we'll get a little bit more into him here in a little bit meaning uh gray barker he's got his own section one very interesting thing that she adds to all of this is that one day Muhammad Ali showed up to the Derenberger's house to talk about Woody's experience with him. Ali was a world-famous champion boxer and also claimed to have had a few run-ins with UFOs as well. So he claimed to be very interested in her father's story. When Woody finally published his book, he sent a signed copy to Ali, who often brought it ringside as his good luck charm during fights. Ali even showed up on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, with Woody's book claiming it gave him luck. Now, let's jump into the end of her book. And the last that we're going to talk about Tanya, or Tanya's story. At the end of her book, she tells us how at her father's funeral, there were many people there. A lot of chatter was about whether Indrid would show up or not. According to her, he was there, and so were his two sons. Indrid, 
no longer comes to earth and has now successfully handed all responsibility over the protection of certain earth families over to his two sons. Tanya still has telepathic conversations with Indrid, but now only sees Conrad and Connor, Indrid's two sons, or I'm sorry, Connard and Connor. There are updates about all of the characters from Lanulos and Cerebus, but I am going to leave those out because I don't want to give too much of the book away. I only intend to give the story critical info and not take away from anyone else's hard work, so I'm not going to include that because that's some really good reading stuff there. So definitely, if you guys are interested in the story of Indra Cold, get that book and make sure you read that section. Really good stuff, just not story critical. One of the absolute biggest surprises... Oh, man, and I can't wait for Jeff's reaction to this. One of the absolute biggest surprises came at the end of this book and personally had my mind blown by the author of the epilogue in Tanya's book. That being from an investigator by the name of Andy Colvin, who had shown Tanya one of the only supposed pictures of the famous Stranger at the Pentagon valiant thor tanya replied with this is the man who represented himself as injured cold to her family quoted go ahead jeff so i called this i don't know if you guys remember this in the first episode of the series i said that it's probably the same dude uh it was when you first brought up venus um so i win okay next oh dude I just looked up and I just realized I just found out. Yeah. All the images of space are fake. <laughs> I have so many pictures to delete off my desktop because they're all made up. Sorry to do that to you, bud. <sighs> you haven't even gotten into Dude. that. One day I'm just going to shatter your whole perception. I'm going to throw my mouse pad away, everything. Yeah. I'm just going to have just black everything and be like, what's that? Be like, space. <laughs> there's nothing in it. <laughs> <laughs> So she said that Injured Cold was the uh, the Venetian from what was what was that guy's name? Valiant Thor. Thor. There you go. Yeah, I just totally blanked it for a second. So she's saying that they're the exact same person. Then Tanya is. She said that the picture that was shown to her of what was supposed to be Valiant Thor was Injured Cold. Now she doesn't necessarily say nobody claims that valiant thor and injured cold are the same pe person uh -huh. there are a lot of theories that they are um but she doesn't come out and say that what the author of her epilogue mm -hmm. says is that when he showed her that photo which was supposedly right. valiant thor she saw injured cold because there are pictures, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes yeah, here. Yeah. There are pictures of Valiant Thor. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but she did recognize the man in the picture and said that that was Indrid. Hmm. What's the time frame between the two? Uh, ooh, that's a question for Jeff. I haven't really done a deep dive into Valiant Thor before. Um, let me look that up again. I don't remember off the top of my head. You do that, bud. Well, then in that case, the question of why wouldn't they go and visit the uh, the officials and stuff if if they are the same person? If he had ever said, "Oh no, we don't do that," you know, why would we do that? <laughs> Be lying, or you know, or as an insinuation. But 
why would Tanya say that, you know, why would they go do that if she has previously seen this picture of this guy in the Pentagon or at least around all these official type folk and say, oh, well, well, why would they go do that? It's just like, why don't you just say, yes, they do. Well, maybe she doesn't know that part of the story. <clears throat> Eisenhower met Valiant Thor on March 16th, 1957. Okay, 1957 to 1966. You're talking a difference of nine years. It's not, I mean, that's totally doable. Valiant Thor mm-hmm. doesn't even age either, apparently, too. So could have looked exactly the same. And they are known mm-hmm. on Lanulos to live between 125 and 175 on average. But our our atmosphere makes them age, though. No, it's no, our because... atmosphere makes them younger. It's a government psyop, dude. The person that they're seeing is either an implanted memory or it's a special agent, probably a clone of some kind. That's it. Get him, Jeff. Get him with that weird shit. Go ahead, do it. <laughs> I just did. I just did. Talk dirty to me, Jeff. <laughs> talk, talk weird to me, Jeff. Talk so weird. I have, a, I have a lot to say about this, and it's going to be really controversial. Go for it. I, I have an I have an in here. Um, one of the <gasps> reasons that I had actually got really close with Tanya was because of this Andy Colvin character. Okay. So this, this, this is where my expertise comes in. Andy Colvin uh, did write the epilogue for the book. Eventually, um, after the he, – okay. All right. He, re, he reprinted the book and wrote the epilogue in the book. Okay. So here's what happened. I was on social media and Tanya had been coming out and talking in groups. Okay. And I had been trying to get a hold of Tanya. Now I had, I had spoken with her um, and I had asked her to come onto my Mothman documentary to talk about the Andrew Cold story. Um, You know, did I, did I want to get involved, you know, heavily involved in her situation? Yes, I did. But at that point in time, at minimum, I just would have been thankful for her to just sit down and talk to me and, and talk about her opinions on, on Mothman and Indra together. Um, so I, I had spoken with her. We had decided to kind of set a date to come out and film, uh, you know, once the pandemic calmed down. So she had started coming out and talking on social media. And one of my friends had pointed it out to me that she was having a, a presence in a specific Facebook group. So I went and joined that group. And that group happened to be ran, uh, it was a John Keel group and happened to be admin by Andy Colvin. So I'm on there and Tanya and Andy are having words. They're having some words and they're going back and forth and they're very angry at each other. And I'm like, okay, so what is going on here? Um, So me just reading it, you know, Andy's making some pretty big claims about how Tanya is just crazy. She's just nuts. And I'm like, okay, who is this guy? And I go and look at his Facebook page. I'd never heard of him before. At that point in time, I hadn't even read Tanya's book yet. And I look him up and I see that he's posting a lot of things about Mothman and stuff like that. I'm like, very interesting. Um, And then I, I just message him. I was like, listen, this is who I am. I'm an investigator. I'm doing this documentary, The Mothman. What's the deal with Tanya? Is she really nuts? What's going on there? Now, let me tell you, this fucking 50-year-old man has the audacity to come on to me, okay? He does. Immediately starts coming on to me. Oh, I don't usually have such beautiful women in my inbox. I've got the screenshots. So you you, you can put this out there. He's gross, first and foremost. 
Well, you got to put it on the table. And yeah. then, exactly right. It was it was really gross, really gross. And uh, you know, but I, but but I got the receipts. And then he, you know, I'm like, well, I don't know who you are, and I don't know what you do. He was just couldn't believe that I didn't know who he was, and I didn't. Um, you know, and then he sent me some show or something he had been on. I listened to it. Andy Colvin claims that the Mothman came to him and spoke to him as a young child, which is not typical of Mothman sightings. Um, and warned him of the um terrorist attack on the twin towers 9-11 <laughs> yeah i bet as a kid right and so then when it happened and then he was the one that perpetuated the myth that the mothman was seen at 9-11 the mothman wasn't there. i mean he's the only one that says that it was and so i'm like oh okay so you know what i did i won't name drop because i don't know how comfortable they are I reached out to a very, very famous colleague in the field who, you know, he's on all the shows and all the things and all the stuff. Very famous guy. Uh, very credible. Very known for his work. And I asked him about this guy, Andy Colvin. He said, uh, yeah, that guy, bad news. Um, he says that what he does, what he's most known for is going and buying up the rights of all these these dead researchers and then republishing them, kind of piecing them together in a, in a weird way in these books and making them kind of have a new story altogether. And then, like I said, republishes them. If you actually mm -hmm. look on Amazon, just go look up John Keel or, or Gray Barker and you'll actually see that they will tell you they're published by Andy Colvin. And so, um, you know, I'm like, oh. So this guy's just gross. So I get hold of Tanya. I'm like, Tanya, what's going on? What's the deal with this guy? Who is this guy? What's happening? Um, she then tells me that basically he has stolen the rights to her book. He has written chapters that never even happened. Um, the epilogue story is complete bullshit. He added it in there. They never talked about anything like that. Ooh, um, okay. Yeah. That he actually took parts from Woody's book and Tanya's book and inserted them into one of Gray Barker's book and then put it out there for sale. To, to create a story that wasn't true um and i started that's when i started talking to tanya because i was helping her with the legal side of getting the rights to her book back from andy so Jeez. yeah so <laughs> the valiant store the valiant thor story is not accurate well Good this is know. information that should have been put out prior <clears throat> to J jeremy saying such a no. outrageous no. claim <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. No, this is perfect because this is stuff that's going around. Yeah, this is this all has just happened within the last <laughs> year. So I don't even know how much legally I'm I, well, I guess not even legally. I, I don't think Tanya would care that I talk about it, to be honest with you. Um, you know, but this is all very new to all of this. This all just happened. So um, you know, but yes, yeah, so and Andy's a big and you know, in my opinion, big fraud. And he probably is, you know, uh, not not to be trusted. Um, you know, of all these people, he's definitely got something to gain. I mean, the guy claims that he was like really good, like best friends with John Keel and all that. That's not true. He met Keel once at a convention and took a picture with them and claims that they were best friends. Like he's that guy, you know? Mm. So, and that's really the extent of it. So he's just ignore him. Eventually he'll go away. And he made out with Mothman, apparently. And he made out. They made out. <laughs> made he out. sucked his dick. Well, I mean. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, man. No, fuck that guy. I, I don't, I'll, I'll happily say it. Fuck that guy. <laughs> Where's CJ when you need him to talk about his setup and, like, what it looks like? <laughs> uh, well, speaking, speaking of which, uh, we were talking about Mothman. <laughs> okay, cool. So, all right. 
I'm settled. I'm more settled than, you know, I was about to start writing down all these questions and stuff, be like, you need to ask her this, that, and the other, or please do, <laughs> you know, all, all that stuff. Yeah, don't, don't worry about, like, you know, information getting out and stuff that you may not be able to put out. There's only three people that sure. listen to the show, and you're talking to them right now. So, I mean, <laughs> it's just, you know. <laughs> we buy all of our own merch. We boost our reviews and our ratings, you know. <laughs> We are 90% of our own merch. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> that is true. Wow. That, that is wild. Yeah. And I, I feel terrible for, for Tanya. You know, if, if we ever get blessed by having the opportunity to be heard by Tanya, if you're listening to this, I'm with you. I just want to know what in the, in your book was planted by this guy because I want to know, you know, what's your words and what's his. That's all I want to know. I th- I thought it was a fantastic book. There's a second one coming. She's written it. Fan- that's awesome to yeah. know because I'm going to definitely buy that. Yeah, it's coming out. But T- Tanya is very um, – she doesn't realize how many people are, are in her camp. And, you know, that is one thing. It's still very fascinating for her. Um, my friend Sarah Cooper, she is the curator of the American Snallygaster Museum in Maryland. Um, she actually Ooh. named Snallygaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I love the Snallygaster. And, and uh, she's great people. And uh, But she named her son. His, his middle name is Indrid. And so, and Tanya just was nice. blown away by that. You know, she doesn't she doesn't realize that there's people that, that you know, do actually root for her and her story and her experiences you know, and, and I think that that's one thing that's hard for her. And I think that's why it's so hard for her to, to open up and come out and talk to people about it. Because, I mean, her whole entire life, she's been criticized for it, you know. And so, um, and I think that's why she's not very public. But, um, but she is, she's, I mean, she's doing better. She's coming out with the second book. You know, she's starting to kind of come out of her hole a little bit and, and start to want to talk to people more, which is, which is great. Um, but it didn't help when she, you know, she finally did it. And this creep kind of sent her, you know, five steps backwards. So, um you know, hopefully she'll come out and talk about that publicly one day too. I don't know. Well, real quick, I think we're going to spend less time on this book. Uh, Cause I've, I feel like this might be the other book you were talking about that Andrew Colvin or Andy Colvin got his hands on. Cause it clearly says right here on the cover edited by Andrew B. Colvin. Yep. <laughs> uh, this is the night the earth stood still by Gary or by Gray Barker, the, the strange case of Andrew cold. So really quick, we're just going to breeze through this and all the highlighted stuff that I have from this, and then we'll talk about what's bullshit and what's not, and then we'll uh, wrap it up for the night. I, I would like to take my time with the with the John Keel stuff yeah, um, because uh, it's just John Keel. We're going to be jumping into the Mothman prophecies. I mean, that's what I do. I, that's so, my, I'm carrying on Keel's work. So Right, and it's going to be the true season finale because it's going to be the last episode in the series. So I want to... Uh, Oh, is that your goal? You're gonna you're carrying on John Keel's yeah. work. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I love that. I held I held well, his ashes. Actually, that was pretty fucking amazing. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I'm gonna be a follower of yours for life then. <laughs> Me and Keel are connected. That's forever. <laughs> That's freaking awesome. You ever All seen right, those cool. people that use the ashes of like their relatives to make tattoo ink, and they get a tattoo for them? Yes, I would do that. I, I just saw that very recently, and I was like, huh. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Gray Barker. Who was Gray Barker? Let's start off the conversation about Gray Barker with a question. Who was he? Gray Barker was a ufology and alien author 
who was famous for not being a true believer himself. After his death in 1984, his sister told many about how Gray only wrote books for the money, and his friend and fellow author James W. Mosley was very open about telling everyone the truth about Barker, saying he pretty much took all of ufology as a joke. Gray even referred to his own paranormal writings as his kooky books. So, Jeremy, why are you telling us anything about the man if he didn't even take these subjects seriously himself? Well, because many, and I mean many, of the mainstream quote-unquote facts about injury cold and many other subjects of this matter are only considered because Gray Barker wrote them in his books and talked about them with the community. So in order to dodge a lot of people saying I missed a lot of stuff, I wanted to go through Gray Barker's own book, The Night the Earth Stood Still, The Strange Case of Injured Cold, and highlight what a lot of people know as facts that don't show up in more reputable source materials, such as the ones from the Derenbergers themselves and John Keel. Even though he is known as an author that stretched the truth in order to create a more spicy story, he was still personally present for a lot of the strange events that can be backed up and verified by many reputable sources. He was also a man that was surrounded in conspiracy as well. Many believe he worked closely with the CIA and other three-letter government organizations and purposely put over-the-top information in his works to discredit the community. And some believe that he was an alien or Lanulogian himself. So let's dive into this book. He wrote about Injured Cold and see some of the differences in the story that very well may have been fabricated by Gray Barker himself. And I'm just going to add this in. Andrew B. Colvin, the editor of this book, as we just learned, the section we talked about Tanya Derenberger's book. Chapter one in this book takes place before the first meeting between Injured Cold and Woody Derenberger. In this chapter, he introduces four characters, Injured Cold, Carl Ardo, Demo Hassan, and Commander Valiant Thor. So now I'm thinking, okay, this is all bullshit by Andrew Colvin. I'm, I'm willing to bet this was a chapter thrown in by him. Anyways, keep going with my, my research here. The reason why this is important is because Valiant Thor was not mentioned in anything written by either Woody Derenberger or John Keel. If you remember, I said that the picture of Valiant Thor was mentioned in the epilogue of Tanya's book, which was written by someone else, that being this Andy B. Colvin guy. Not a very nice gentleman, as we've heard. Another piece of the story that doesn't match up is that when he introduces Demo Hassan, he introduces him as the youngest, and most impetuous of the crew. Impetuous, meaning carefree or headstrong, where Tanya Derenberger described him as being a skittish and cautious man. When Woody met Indrid. In Gray Barker's accounts of the first meeting between Indrid Cold and Woody Derenberger, there are a few differences that jump off the page the first thing I noticed is how he claimed that the lightless craft that began to tail him lifted over his truck instead of passing him on his left, and then lowered itself in front of him before coming to a complete stop. Another thing that stuck out was that immediately after the event, he described Woody's thoughts about the event. In his thoughts, he thought of a TV show that his wife enjoyed watching called The Joe Pine Show, and one particular episode where a man from California told a story about alien beings who looked like humans brought him on a trip in their ship to their home on Venus. 
I didn't see any mention of this in other writings, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it wasn't true. Barker did have many interviews with Woody Derenberger, where he could have gotten additional information from him. Remember, Gray Barker was originally the publisher who was going to publish Woody's story. In an early chapter of his book, Gray Barker briefly mentions the event that without previously reading John Keel's The Mothman Prophecies, I don't think I would have been able to pick up on, let alone understand the reference. While he was on the phone with James W. Mosley, a friend, fellow ufology author and editor of Saucer News, mentions that during their conversation, they both heard a beeping sound followed immediately by a series of clicks. This prompted Barker to state, quote, there's the silent group again, referring to the mysterious unknown party that has a tendency of tapping and listening in to many different conversations mentioned in the John Keel book, The Mothman Prophecies. This happened during a conversation in which they were discussing the upcoming visit by Keel with Barker in Parkersburg, in which Keel wished to meet Woody Derenberger to discuss his events. We will get into this more a little later on. On the approach to the Derenberger farmhouse, Barker claims to have spotted a car among many others sitting outside of the Woody residence that had men holding various recording and listening devices that looked very strange. Another added piece of the info was given to Barker and Keel during their visit with Woody was that Lanulos was 30 light years away. The visit continued with both Keel and Gray requesting for Woody to telepathically request a ship to show over the property. This, of course, was their trump card they thought was going to disprove Woody's claims. Woody replied with, I'll reach out, but I don't always get an answer. This made the men even more confident that Woody was going to have an excuse as to why he couldn't get in contact that night and Barker and Keel were going to walk out of Woody's house with a feeling that Woody was just a storyteller. When Woody replied with something along the lines of, quote, I believe if we go take a look out back, you men will be surprised at what you see, end quote. This, of course, got the two investigators excited, and the group went out the back door and looked up towards a hill belonging to Woody's neighbor. There were lights just above the crest that both Barker and Keel thought were simply passing traffic on a highway far in the distance, but there were other lights further above the hill that were much harder to explain. This is when we get the story of John Keel climbing the electric fence and being chased by Woody's neighbor's bull. According to Keel, the man who climbed the hill to see the lights, there was a highway in the distance but may not have been able to explain a majority of the lights, and definitely was not able to explain the ones that were further above the land. Soon after the group returned to Woody's house, and soon after the men witnessed a large red globe in the sky, half the size of the moon that seemed to flicker in and out of existence. It was noted that this object was far too big to be a planet. The men returned to the hotel that Keel was staying at and discussed the night's events. One thing that Barker had pointed out was that the technology that was in Woody's story was strange. Some of it was very normal, everyday Earth-bound technology, such as bunk beds, radios, and space helmets. From the point of view of Barker, if Woody was lying, he most likely would have thought of far-out technologies for every single task. But since there were some familiar technologies, this may lend truth to the idea that there may be more of a connection between Earthlings and Lanulosians than just looks. These theories span from a shared origin of our governments sharing technologies and what 
Woody witnessed were the technologies that they liked of ours. According to John Keel, in Barker's book, mind you, there were two outcomes from the visit. One, portions of the whole story is true. Two, the man is doing a really good job at trying to sell a story. Neither one of them Keel saw as a problem for the human race. The conversation takes a turn when Barker points out something that he and James W. Mosley were talking about in reference to Keel. He stated that Mosley and himself both realized after talking to Keel that he was gathering a lot of information for something and knew more than he was leading on about these events. Keel, of course, said, yes, that this was mostly true. He began by saying that he was, in fact, writing another book, but that's not why he was secretive with his findings. He claimed to have found that there was very little substance to a lot of reports, and that the truly interesting things were not in the objects of the reports, but more about other smaller details that others are not paying attention to. Because of this, he began from the beginning with all of the events that he has investigated, and he has discovered some very interesting details tied to most of the reputable ones. He had found these details due to his task of for forgetting all of the work done by others and revisiting events with a blank and open mind. By doing this, he was able to look at the phenomenon without influence. It was because of this that he did not come forward with his findings and thoughts. Because if he did, people would mold their experiences to his findings, and he wouldn't know which to believe and which not to believe. My example of this is what if he told everyone that the real encounters are the ones that show up in purple ships shaped like a hockey puck and trees growing on the underside of the ship. Well, now all you're going to get is people saying that they've seen these ships that matched his description and all of your findings are now going to be diluted. Another reason that Keel pointed out was that he didn't want his findings to be used politically. He explained that there are a lot of different UFO research groups out there that would use his info for only their own benefit and not for the benefit of actual research into UFOs. He claimed that a UFO research group like NICAP has put more time and effort into fighting entities like MUFON and the Air Force than it puts into the actual task it gets it sets advertised as its purpose. He did go on to give a hint that he believed them to be more of environmental entities than from outer space. He explained this by stating that it seems that they have always been here and live more beside us than just visiting us. He says that he has found way more evidence of this than the dismal, if any, evidence for them coming from outer space. He believed that all of the quote-unquote leaked info about UFOs, variously stated that there was no evidence of extraterrestrial origins, and he believes that this could be true. There are many theories as to what and where Lanulos may actually be, as highlighted by Mr. Barker in his book, The Night the Earth Stood Still. There are people who believe that the Venetians visit Earth regularly and tell the abductees that they come from a faraway planet by another name. This would be done for their own security purposes. But where are they actually from? Well, one of the theories is that they are from Venus, of course, but another theory is that they are from here. 
Some even say that theories about flat Earth, hollow Earth, and forgotten continents actually have some weight to them, and that this is where our Lanulogians are actually from. There's uh, an idea that floats around in the flat Earth community, um, also in the hollow Earth community, but there's like another model out there, um, and I don't remember what it's called, but it basically suggests that possibly the Earth is just much bigger than we're told, and that there is lands that we're just not told about, right? That's There's like other continents beyond the Antarctic ice wall, right? And it's hard to explain without a visual aid. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's totally plausible, especially when you get into that and you see some of those maps and you see some of like these ancient maps, or not even ancient maps from like 1700s, 1800s, where they show these land masses that were not shown today existing. So yeah, it's totally possible that Lanulose is just another continent somewhere and we're just not, uh, we're not privy to that information. I can get behind that one because I've known for a really long time how they resize continents to fit on the globe and stuff and how Africa's so much bigger than what it shows on any of our maps. And, you know, our, the United States is actually a lot smaller and all these other places are bigger and smaller and blah, blah, all that stuff. Like I could totally get behind the idea that the earth is so big and you can only, you know, and that they only show us so much of it. Cause I mean, geez, you know, you, you get in a boat or on a ship and you sail to a new place. I mean, small islands on a map are gigantic <laughs> to just, you know, yeah. getting lost out there, you know, just, I don't know. I, I could get behind that one. Just think about the word extra terrestrial, right? Uh, extra terra, more land. It's not like they're coming from outer space or just coming from, the extra terra that's beyond wherever, right? Call it the ice wall. So I was right then that they're just taking them to South America somewhere to like a, uh, <laughs> to a nudist colony. <laughs> south, South America. This would be more South, but I mean, geez, what they have, uh, the Nazis have the Bavarian village in, uh, gosh, where's that at? Where they, where they, Jeff, you know, where they set up that, that Argentina. There you go. And, like, how many pictures do we have of that? Like, how many people have gone and explored that? I know there has been some, but, I mean, that was kept secret for a, a quite some time. And then it's like, oh, shoot, here's all this, here's this massive colony of, you know, blue-eyed, blue blonde-haired Germans that speak German. <laughs> and, and, you know, the local language and they have all these guys working for them. They have these these cities built up over there. It, like it's it's absolutely crazy. So why couldn't they hide a? Uh, why couldn't there be a another continent that's hidden that we're not? It's not like it'd be some huge thing to say that like oh yeah, there's only seven continents. You know. You know it's it's a uh, it's one of those things where it's like you know you have to be technically you would have to be a believer in flat Earth for this to be an option, right? And it's just like. I'm not going to comment on, on Flat Earth. I'm going to save that for our Flat Earth episode that we'll eventually do. But let's just say that if the Earth was flat, this would be a very good explanation for the Lanulogians. Could be. It doesn't have to even necessarily be flat. Just on that picture I showed you, if you wrap that around a ball, 
you know, again, the, the earth just could be 10 times bigger than what we're told. And that's why there's people who are doing experiments about flat earth and they can't find the curvature and they can't find these things. Maybe it's just way bigger than we're told. Maybe it's as big as Jupiter, but we're only... The curve is so, you know, so small that you just can't really perceive it. Yeah. Hmm. There's, a, there's a couple possibilities for that, but, you know, that's just an idea. There's land beyond. So a lot of people kind of have that theory um, that they are, you know, from here, um, you know, within the ultra terrestrial, uh, you know, uh, universe, which we'll talk about more during the John Keel episode, I'm sure. Um, you know, the theory is that these things already live here. They don't travel from other planets. They already live here. Um, and then, of course, there's a theory that um, that they were originally from here right maybe that's why they continue to visit is that you know they're coming back and forth um i i don't think so i mean i don't think that they're i, I don't think that they live amongst us on our planet necessarily um I, I think our planet is is pretty well discovered i mean don't get me wrong there's a lot of far reaches of the area that that we definitely we can't be everywhere at once as a human race right so we don't know exactly what's going on at all times um but i think for the most part i think we've discovered it enough that we would be able to tell if there was another intelligent species living amongst us. Um, and that's just, I mean, that's just my opinion coming from not just studying, um, you know, ufology, but also cryptozoology as well. There's a lot of theories out there that cryptids, you know, are possibly another, another intelligent race or, you know, maybe Bigfoot is another intelligent type of people or something like that. And I just, I don't, I don't really draw, I don't, I don't jive with those ideas much. Um, because I think that it would kind of be impossible for us to go this long as a human race and not discover that and not talk to each other um, and, you know, try to make some type of amends so we don't continue to destroy their habitat and whatnot. But anyway, um, I just I don't agree with that. That's my short answer. You got to kind of cut the puzzle pieces to make the theories fit. You know, like uh, Occam's razor, the, yeah. the, the one that takes less explaining probably works, right? A lot of people probably understand where we're kind of getting to here, but we're going to save that for the end of the next episode. Before we get going, is there anybody that wants to put anything else out? Is there another comment that someone wants to make about something that we went over tonight? Mm, space is fake. Okay, good, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff. I mean, <laughs> if now all of the pictures of space and the planets and the galaxies and all that stuff is fake then why couldn't there be a why couldn't we live on be living on a much bigger earth and all the pictures of earth are fake too i've converted jake i win again <laughs> he finally got me and i'm downloading duck duck go <laughs> <laughs> oh three for three today boys and lady <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> All right, well, I don't have anything else to put out. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about, of course, John Keel's part in this whole story about Injury Cold. We'll be diving into his book, The Mothman Prophecies, which is just, if you've never read The Mothman Prophecies, what are you doing with your life? Right. That's just the only thing I got to say. Painting my motorcycle. <laughs> whatever, man. And then there's... <laughs> A ton of other work by Keel himself um, that it, it's a gateway book into his other work. But before we get off 
for the night, Ashers. Will you remind everybody where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can either go listen to my show on Wednesdays. We talk weird, um, where we talk about everything weird every every Wednesday. Just uh, Google it or what or DuckDuckGo or whatever it is you do. Um, you know, and uh, you, you'll you'll find it. Or you can add me on Facebook, Ashley Hilt H I L T. I'm the one with the red hair. Or you can follow me on Instagram or on Twitter at it's Ashers. You can call me Ashley. You can call me Ashers. Doesn't matter to me. Um, it's up to you. Totally, you know, personal preference. But um, th- those are those are my main sources, pretty much. Hmm. Perfect. And uh, I have I have uh, shared a couple of her personal posts onto the group for Infinite Rabbit Hole. So if you guys are looking at them and you guys see where I share them from, you'll see her. She's very easy to spot. Like she says, she has the red hair. <laughs> she and does have like, red hair. It's I, not like ginger red. It's red, 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 red. red. I can't <laughs> red, stealth red. at all. We, we laugh about it all the time. Like I can't, when we go like investigate these, these abandoned places and shit, like it's, it's terrible because I'm, I'll get caught by the police. Like it's I'm snaking me. Like. <laughs> you with the red hair. Yeah. <laughs> He's talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how it is. So, no, I mean, no, I, I am in the group now. I'm, I, I try to, you know, I, I try to interact. It's hard. I'm, I, I do a lot of social mediaing, but, uh, you know, tag, you can tag me and stuff, and all. That's the easiest way to get my attention is just to tag me. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, I feel blessed to have you in there, anyways. Thank you, Thank you for joining the group, sure. and it really, really is cool to have you a part of it. But, um, all right. Does anybody else have anything to put out? No, I'm just ready for the the next part. My heart's broken. My, yeah, I have no expectations anymore. But I'm uh, <laughs> looking Why, forward to because all the pictures of space are fake. Yeah, dude. Yes, <laughs> ultimate yes. catfish is space. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like even terrible. even the the like less terrible explanation I found was people saying, well, even if it was the way that it's supposed to look, the fact that black and white photos are you know have way better resolution than color photos most of the pictures if they are realistic they're photoshopped all the colors are added and i'm like <sighs> sorry dude and listen <laughs> here's the throw thing, myself into traffic now we haven't even <laughs> go ride my motorcycle off a cliff <laughs> that's just our cliffs fake too <laughs> that's, that's just base level that's base level space is fake bro just wait for that episode we might have to swap out dinosaurs as fake for space is fake i'm down Don't you even if you're if you're ready you can't break my heart like this we have to do the dinosaur one first yeah okay fair <laughs> everyone's counting on you jeff to ruin their lives I'm break your brain with that one too dude <laughs> ashers thank you so much for joining us on this episode you know number three of probably four maybe 10 i don't know um (laughs) (laughs) depends right but yeah this was this was a good episode definitely an eye-opener i'm glad that that d-bag author or not even an author really just a publisher that inserts his own ideas that that was discovered because oh man i was like i pulled out my notepad and i was going to start writing stuff down and then and then you swung in there with a hold on a second He's a he's a compulsive liar. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> well, that just goes to show is that you know, 
you know, yes, we cover a lot of this, the strange and the unknown world, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of misinformation out there. Oh, yeah. A lot. And that's why I kind of covered Gray Barger's stuff a little bit because he was kind of post-death. It kind of came out from his family that he was kind of one of those guys that created more hype than there actually was for a lot of different subjects. So those people exist. There are people out there that will that will create or fabricate a story for people to get all worked up about. And it's our job here on the Infinite Rabbit Hole to filter through all that. And I am very happy that we had Asher's in because even myself, I was I saw um Valiant Thor's name and my eyes grew wide. And I'm like Jeff's gonna shit a brick. <laughs> <laughs> you know what would make a really good episode is on on those types of people that yeah. just kind of generate you know this this fakeness, but have like a big name. I mean, because there's people now that are you know Andy Colvin, like he's not. This isn't a guy from the '60s. He's doing it right now. You know what I mean? He's right. faking the people right now, and uh, other people, you know, as well. You know, Tom Biscardi, Todd Standing, Hell, Matt Moneymaker, even. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> you know that would be a good. I mean, that would. I think that would make a really cool episode. Um, but you know, maybe that's just me wanting to stir the pot. I don't know. I would love to get Todd Standing on here. Oh God. <laughs> um, I mean, just just to you know, just to be like, yeah, man, tell me about how the Bigfoot looked at you with that clay looking face it's clearly a mask (laughs) (laughs) tell me about it oh my gosh Uh, that documentary made made me sick (laughs) if you guys really want to talk to somebody that's deep into misinformation just come on my show sometime we do it all the time it's great when (laughs) every fucking episode apparently is misinformation I'm that guy. You have a whole episode on me. That's me. I've heard that there's this there's this show called like Shadow Band and stuff. I've never listened to it, but I heard it's pretty good. You're it's not, it's not bad. It's good stuff. <laughs> we gotta boost up Asher's podcast. Do it a bunch. Yeah, I mean you can, sure. You can I mean we're sitting here talking about our co-host podcast. We should really be boosting up the guest podcast, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's 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 totally fine. It's all right. I don't I don't I, I have a lot of listeners, you guys. <laughs> Listen to everybody's podcast, everybody. Go, go check out Asher's podcast on Thursday. We whisper wacky. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Absolutely. God. Wouldn't be a bad name for a podcast. Hey, you know what? I'll tell you, our injured cold episode uh has probably some of the, it's one of the top it's like in the top five. So Dang. when I tell my listeners that that I did this show, they're gonna be they're gonna be scrambling over. I promise. People love it. People love it. Yeah, they're gonna get to episode one and be like, "Ah, these guys," and they're never gonna listen to it. These guys don't take anything seriously. <laughs> oh, I mean, we we get the information out. We just bullshit along the way. That's exactly what I do, and I mean, people listen to the show still, so I, I don't know. Well, you, you, do you want to sit there and listen to a documentary? You guys want to have a good time. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Jeez. But, um, <laughs> all right. Well, most of that back end is going to be cut out. <laughs> but until next time, when we get to talk about John Keel, that I'm extremely excited about. And 
Asher's has agreed to come on with us next week and talk about her favorite keel. Yeah, my favorite keel. <laughs> her favorite keel ever. Yeah. Um, yeah, just, I'm, I'm kind of upset we're not going to get to it tonight, but that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. All right. Until next time, thank you for joining us on this path of the infinite rabbit hole. Bye. 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 <laughs> there it is. Hey. Thank you.